everyone. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here uh, with Inez. Uh, Inez, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, finally, we had the smoke clear out of, of uh, Manhattan. That was a rough few days where everyone actually had to stay in their tiny apartments. Oh, well, once again, I am. Uh, I win by living in California. I mean, it's all, <laughs> we, have, we have fires too, but as far as the natural yes, disasters yeah. go. Like, That's know. not, the last time I experienced this kind of smoke was in 2007 in California due to wildfires. So you do not escape. Yeah. This I think particular when, when, thing. When I see the, when I see the hurricanes, like to actually like, that's when I get, that's when I get uh, very, just like, I, I'm, I get very uh, uh, thankful that I live here because to like pack up and move, like I've never had anything. It happens in like the mountains over here, like urban areas. Like I've never seen anyone have to actually move for any reason. Like, you know, the, the ocean is not coming for us. The ocean <laughs> comes for you on the East coast and in, in the Gulf. Uh, but I'm glad, glad you're breathing better. I have the same, uh, uh, same fears about tornadoes, by the way, that's my like scary natural <laughs> disaster. Not, As a Californian, fun. I'm totally fine with earthquakes and, you know, big storms like hurricanes scare me less just for whatever reason. But, but the te- tornadoes are freaky to me. <laughs> that's funny. It's like Trump being afraid of sharks. Like you, you hear those reports where he's like watching shark, like just, you know, he's like a TV <laughs> guy and it's just like, you know, like two people get eaten by sharks a year or something. I, I think tornadoes are sort of the same way. Uh, but the, yeah, so when we left off last week, um, you know, like the indictment came literally like uh, two hours, an hour or two after uh, we recorded. And, you know, I've read the indictment and I'm sure you've looked at it, too. Um, we've seen the reaction to it. Uh, what did you think, first of all, about the indictment, about the um, about the specifics of it and sort of where do you see it in our broader, uh, the you know, the broader culture and the uh, and the 2024 race? Yeah, I mean, I thought I think I talked about it in the last podcast. I thought they would go for more of the procedural um, crimes in a hope to actually expedite this kind of thing before the election. Um, this they're relying much more on the substance of of classified documents and refusing to turn them over, uh, particularly like agency documents, right? Um, so some combination of this is actually they're so they're doing it under the Espionage Act, which is freaking out everybody. Uh, but they're doing it under the the sort of lesser version, the lesser uh, versions of various crimes. Like obviously, like you could be a spy and be selling. American documents to hostile foreign powers. And that's under that act. But then, you know, several layers down is, is being at the bottom of it is what they ended up talking about with Hillary, right? The reckless standard um, where you're just leaving them around. And that seems to literally apply to everybody in Washington, DC, right? We saw the documents and Joe Biden's uh, uh, his garage being dutifully watched over by his convertible, um, and then one layer up is what they're charging Trump with, which is basically like refusing to hand back over documents and then potentially showing them to like other people. But it's, it's, he's not being charged with being a spy. Like just, just this a title. Everybody's saying espionage, espionage act. Look, I mean, I think, um, this is one of those cases where it doesn't really change much. Uh, Trump has a remarkable ability to make Rubicon crossing level things seem very LARPy and very like somehow unimportant, you know, because uh, it's always the Trump show and it always comes along with so much sort of drama um, and, and, and legitimate political sort of fight between Trump and what it, to me at least, and, and you maybe disagree is a very, very clear um, sort of permanent uh, permanent actual rulers in Washington, you can call the deep state, the administrative state, the blob, whatever you want, that that they're very clearly going after him for political reasons. Um, that being said, there's quite a bit in here that he could have easily avoided by being just just slightly less Trumpy, like just slightly less 
um, irresponsible knowing that he has this huge target on his back. So, you know, to some extent he has brought this on himself, but at the same time, it's hard to imagine that, that this blob would not find some way to charge him. Right. Um, there, it was obviously a, you know, a, a, what is it? You show me the man and I'll find you the crime sort of situation. And they're, they're trying to find a way to get him, but this might be the way they get him. I, I, this is more serious than the, the other indictments in the States in my view. So, so you think, so you think the indictment is serious? You think it's, I mean, let, let me ask you, I guess we can go issue by issue. Do you think, do you think it's, do you think it's justified? Like, is this something that uh, somebody should be prosecuted for the entirety of the thing? Cause the documents are um, the documents. he never got charged for the ones he just took. It's just the ones that basically some of them that he kept after the subpoena. And then a lot of them are obstruction of justice kind of things, uh, perjury, um, so is, first of all, is, is it justified? Is it selective prosecution? Uh, in your mind, you say, you know, hypothetically, show me the man, show the crime, but this particular crime, did he actually commit a crime that, you know, it was fair to charge him for given the circumstances? Well, I guess it depends which way you look at it, right? So is it fair to charge him, uh, with a crime that, that, for example, a lot of people who are like lower level working for the Pentagon would get charged with if they did the same thing? Um, so if you look at it that way, it's not selective prosecution. If you look at similarly placed political figures, it's very clear that they're all doing basically similar things. So they'll try to distinguish this by saying he didn't give certain documents back. Well, Trump's lawyers are going to argue that those were personal records. I think that's going to be a tough argument for them to make in court. Just with regard to some of these things, they're like they're, they're very clearly not, you know, notes the president was making for himself or like little letters he was writing. Right? These are um, you know documents that come from the CIA or the FBI or something like that, um, that are used to brief the president, so I, I assume. Um, so I, I don't know how, how far he's going to get, but he's going to say, well, I have a right to these records. I have a right to keep them. I don't have to turn them over. And I'm exercising my prerogative as a former president and doing that. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't I, look, this never gets charged if they're not going for Trump because they, they bent over backwards in, in a pretzel. We have a very analogous case in which there was something actually arguably worse than denying, you know, saying basically I'm not going to give these documents on the basis of a subpoena, which is actually destroying the documents, which they have him on tape talking about, but didn't happen as far as as we know. Right. Um, we have Hillary actually destroying documents. We have Hillary like secretly sending them to an entire server very clearly. And we have her like you know, breaking phones, right, to destroy the evidence that she had it, that all screams intent in a way that refusing the subpoena um, perhaps also shows some intent. But like, that's what's that's what's going to happen is we're going to indict, you know, we're going to, it, it, you can't have these two standards where like one political party um, and one set of very powerful political actors gets to do all this stuff. Um, and then indict Trump for it, even if they're both in some level of like, if we were, if we were in the business of charging domestic political opponents for every, you know, potential crime they may have committed, then yeah, like, I think you could charge Trump, you could charge Hillary, you can charge Biden. Um, the question is, do we want to, do we want to live in that world? Um, and I think the left has, and more specifically, this sort of, um, kind of deep state blob, I don't think they've thought at all about the actual political consequences. They think if they charge Trump and put him in jail, that all his supporters are going to evaporate from the country. It's like a no, very naive think... way of thinking to my mind. Well, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of people say a lot of right-wing people will say, Oh, they think it'll actually not evaporate. He'll actually win the nomination and they want to face him in the general election. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that. Like, I don't think Jack Smith 
do you, or do you think Jack Smith is thinking along the like, oh, his supporters are gonna evaporate if I if I get him on this these document charges? Look, I don't know what Jack Smith is thinking, but I, I do think that you know the politicals, Biden and and so on. Um, I I think they think, and I I think this has been across the board with media as well. That's why they're so fanatical about quote unquote not platforming Trump, and they were sometimes even during his presidency and when he was running in 2020, and now when he's running in 2024. They, they talk about, quote unquote, platforming the president or like a major political party candidate as though if they don't cover it, um, people, I think the, the way they think about it fundamentally is, is that people are have sort of a watch being spun before their eyes by Donald Trump, the demagogue. Um, and they think that those people will will essentially forget or change their minds or, or quietly go away if they can just get Trump off of the scene. Right. They'll they'll. They can go back to sort of the, the what is it that Obama called it, the coalition of the ascendant. Um, they can go back to their place in the arc of history and they can just continue to do what they have been doing for the last 30 years. Um, and I do think they're somewhat naive about like, I, I do actually think there's a lot of people on the left. They won't say it outright, but the way they behave tells me that they, they think that if they just could get rid of Donald Trump somehow, um, that the country would would magically be in a better place and it would go back to the way uh the sort of direction that that it was on before 2016 and i, I think that that's just fundamentally just in terms of studying politics capital p like that's just it's ludicrous to me it's it and it, it's very dangerous to think that way yeah okay so the yeah so yeah there's a lot to get to there as far as sort of if trump goes away and sort of what liberals want and why they want it. I mean, there's an interesting question and, you know, different people, uh, you know, take a different approach. Um, but the, uh, the, you know, the class, I mean, I think what happened with this indictment is, yeah, everyone mishandles classified documents, Mike Pence, uh, Joe Biden. Um, the, you know, as you know, the legal system really does not like it uh, when you don't cooperate with subpoenas. Um, I, you know, this is like sort of like just the norm that, you know, you, you get a subpoena, you're under investigation, you cooperate, you could have done a lot of stuff beforehand, but once the legal system is like, you know, uh, it got you in their grasp, you're supposed to just cooperate, you know, that's sort of what the whole system, uh, depends on. Uh, so, and look <laughs> at the indictment. It's really funny. I mean, it's like Trump's lawyers are making, um, are making voice notes to themselves because like they know or they suspect the things he wants them to do are illegal. He's like, you know, couldn't this disappear? Couldn't we just tell them, you know, there's not, you know, there, the, uh, there's nothing. Um, he goes, you know, he, 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 um, he misleads his lawyers and has them make false statements, uh, to the government. I mean, it's really, really remarkable. Um, and so like, this is at a, I mean, I think this is clearly in a different class than Pence or Biden. Now, Hillary, you know, we can, we can talk about, you know, maybe being in the same class. Um, I think the defenders of Hillary, uh, well, first of all, let me, let me ask, let me stop right there and ask you, do you agree that this is beyond Biden or, or Pence I mean, that before we talk about Hillary? No, I think, I think it's not beyond, but, but I see why. So if you compare it on you one particular not. avenue, it could be worse in the sense that he is yeah, defined you a subpoena, the, ex right? Exactly. But, but I think there are other ways that makes, for example, the Biden situation worse. Those documents are from when he was a senator. Like senators don't have continuous access to those documents. There's no reason why he should have been able to take them home to begin with. Right. Whereas Trump, he had access and, and the power to take them home to begin with. And now we're fighting over whether he needs to give them back. So in, the, in that sense, like you could say that that's worse because as a senator, Biden 
did not have the power to take that stuff home at all. And there's a certain intent involved in that, right? Um, you didn't go to a secure location and view these documents in the way that like senators who sit on these committees are supposed to do. You actually took them back to your apartment and then you put them in your garage. So you could say that it's worse from that. But yeah, he didn't define a subpoena to give them back. So um, look, I think there's a couple things that you said that just Trump isn't seen as not corrupt. I think even by by all but his most dedicated followers, he's not seen as not corrupt. Um, and I think you had some a tweet basically to this, or, or you cited some article um, in the last, a couple of days ago on Twitter um, that basically went to this point. You know, people believe that he's a wrecking ball for a system they believe is fundamentally rigged and corrupt. And Trump's big appeal was in at least in you know 2015, 2016. Yeah, I know the system's corrupt. That's why I haven't paid any taxes. Like. I, you know, I have my army of accountants to avoid paying taxes. Yes, I know that the the system's corrupt because I'm the one who plays in it. You know, I've been giving donations to politicians for years and they, they grant me favors on that basis. So he was very open about what was going in the house. He's like, yeah, I've seen what's going on in the house, you know, in, in the house of power behind you. I, I've seen it because I was part of it. But now I'm going to represent your, your interests um, against this this sort of corruption that's already happening. So politically, I don't think this this hurts him. The question is, does it hurt the country? And I, t- it's obvious to me that it it does, because you have now a situation, especially with um, the bribery charges against Biden and that playing out with with um, with Congress and, and, you know, Christopher Ray narrowly avoiding contempt of Congress and so on. Um, in terms of what he's producing about about the potential. Now we know about these 17 tapes that exist, right? Um, potential Biden corruption charges. The, it's, it's very obvious that what's going to happen is if we have Trump versus Biden, the, the incentive for each one of them is win or go to jail, right? If Trump wins, he pardons himself and he, he launches an indictment against Biden. And if Biden wins, this indictment against Trump goes forward and maybe Trump goes to jail. Those are those are not incentives for like I said last week, you know, that, that's not a, incentives for peaceful transfer of power. It's do or die for both major presidential candidates, assuming they both get the nomination. That's I mean, yeah. that, that's that that is a well, very I mean, serious banana republic problem. But you know, I think you're you're conflating sort of the Trump charges, which are seem indisputable. And, you know, I mean, well, he'll have his day in court. Maybe they're disputable, but they seem very strong and based on an investigation. Um, and the Biden things, which as far as I can tell, the only evidence for that is what Republicans in Congress are saying. Right. We don't know, like, how credible the underlying evidence is, unless you've heard unless you unless I'm, I've missed something here. Um, we, we haven't had the FBI say this is very credible and something. They, they say the source was credible, right? But but we, we, we don't, there's a lot we don't know here. Right? Well, it's circular though, because the FBI refuses to cooperate with Congress. Um, so we don't know because the FBI is sitting on that information. So this back and forth, basically, first they said the documents don't exist at all. There is no such thing, right? Um, and then when Grassley told them, hey, like, I know this exists. Here's a number of the document because I've seen it. So clearly there's a whistleblower who's given it to him. Right. I, I know the number I've seen this document and kind of telling them publicly, like, I know this exists. You can't say it doesn't exist. Then the FBI comes forward and says, okay, yes, it exists. Um, we're going to show it to you, but we're going to show it to you again uh, to the point about senators not being able to take classified stuff home. Right. Um, we're going to show it to you in the shift or whatever they call it. Right. But they're heavily going to redact it. 
Um, and now they're fighting over. So now, you know, Grassley comes out and publicly says, okay, there are these 17 tapes. Again, he's telling them, I've seen this document, like stop screwing with me. Right. Um, I've seen this document. I know what it says. I know what, what the like evidence is. Now the FBI may not have those tapes, right? Um, we, we don't know if the FBI has those tapes. It's just the exist, their existence is there's a record in the document of their existence. Um, but but yes, I, I agree. There's not there's a lot we don't know, but I think it's actually quite substi- like substantial. What we do know in public is quite substantial, and the reason we don't know more is not because Republicans don't want to share it. It's because the FBI doesn't want to share it. What does the What does the FBI say? Do they say this is an ongoing investigation? No, they're saying they're protecting the name of the source, right? So they're protecting the identity of the source in this case. That's their reasoning now. Maybe that's legitimate, but then, you know, that's what the shift and, you know, limited redactions are for. But what Grassley has been saying is you've redacted way too much of this. Um, you're, you're going above above and beyond. Um, there's a game being played about how much of this information is actually going to go to the senators, which, again, if we're talking about things to indict Biden on, all of that would go to, for example, that lowest rank of the Espionage Act of willful or recklessness, reckless disregard of putting classified documents in his garage as a senator when he had potentially no legitimate reason to actually own those documents or have copies of them or physically remove them from the ship, right? So it's just, it, so I, I think there's plenty. I think if 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 a uh, Trump DOJ wanted to go after Joe Biden and indict him, I think there is plenty to do that. Um, and, and it goes to the question, do we want two people running for president for whom each one if they win, they get to indict their opponent and vice versa. If the other one wins, he, the other like I this this that is Banana Republic level crap. And I know that it's all covered over with this LARPy veneer and this sort of Trump show and the fact that he goes and you know signs autographs for people outside of outside of, you know, the, the courtroom or whatever it is. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there's something not very like disturbing going on here. You know. Okay, so the I mean the 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 saying that Trump was president and Biden, you know, was a senator. Uh, to, to put that distinction, I think, on the same level of per, like clear perjury and obstruction of look, neither of them, you know, I think the document thing is approximately equal. Neither of them had the right to keep those records, and I, we don't know it's all presidential daily briefing. I mean, there's other there's other you know there's. Uh, I didn't say that. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, whatever the document, whatever the, whatever the documents are, they both get documents. Okay. What is a senator? What is a president? Unless you could show like really bad faith on Biden's part, you know, maybe it's exists, but you know, you could imagine how like a lot of the stuff is about papers and presidential libraries and, and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but then the obstruction of the perjury is just so, I mean, this is like the clearest case of ob- obstruction or pl- perjury you can imagine right and okay maybe hillary i mean hillary we could have a longer discussion on that but you know hillary's you know in the past i, I don't think there's a, and the biden the other biden charges you know are still speculative we still maybe nobody is you know we still you, you say the fbi might be they might have something legitimate there they might be stalling maybe but no, like the, there the are only two alternatives thing. either either chuck grassley is lying right i mean maybe he's just straight up lying to the media about what's in these documents, but th- the things he's saying are so specific that it makes me suspect that he's not lying about it, right? Like he's not he's not making general assertions. He's saying there are seven exactly seventeen tapes, right? Like that's a very weird and specific assertion to make if there's nothing behind it because it's so easily disproven, right? If if there isn't anything, so it just 
I don't think it's credible to say that there's nothing there. Now, maybe it's not true, right? It's all all reliant on this one informer who the FBI has paid as a credible um, human source or whatever they call that. They have a word for it, right? A confidential human source or whatever it is uh, that the FBI has paid for a long time. And I'll point out, we already had a much higher standard than opening the investigation during the Russia hoax on Trump. So that's the other (laughs) comparison. Just we're, 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 but okay. So like, okay. I think it's legitimate. The Republicans in Congress uh, uh, for the Senate, uh, people like Chuck Grassley to press the FBI. When a Republican gets in office, I think it would be legitimate to have a special, you know, a special uh, counsel look into whatever allegations uh, against Biden. Um, That's fine. Um, And then, you know, we can talk about Russiagate, but you know, this is just, and we'll maybe we'll maybe you know maybe something will come up that's you know definitive at, at that point, um, but this is clear. I mean, this is clear and convincing and like an open and shut case. And you could say, well, theoretically, like, well, you, you could turn your argument around. You say they're all both going to run to be uh, not indicted. Now you could say that like what you're what the alternative to this would possibly be is like, okay, don't indict Trump because you're afraid you're going to bite it. And then like everyone can just be as corrupt and, you know, as screwed up as they want, because, you know, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to have sort of this quid pro pro. I, I think the Trump indictment is legitimate. And then if the Biden, if there's an investigation and they show Biden uh, did things that are clearly illegal, um, there can be an indictment at that point. Why not just say, okay, we have this case here. And then next we'll have the, we'll have the, um, the Biden investigation if and when it gets to that and Congress should do what it wants to do in the meantime. I mean, it shows how, how political this is. So I'll say two things. One, I just, as an aside, it probably too long to, to get into as a separate thing. I, I do think that Trump has, a constitutional argument to make under executive power. Uh, but that, that you know, basically we're going to throw it back to a lot of the questions that were quote unquote resolved around Nixon. Um, yeah, but, but, but obstruction but, of perjury don't depend on the underlying No, law but it depends, right? Government. Right. So that's what I said that actually I think the, the part of this indictment that I was most worried about is more minor in the actual indictment than I expected it to be. In other words, the things I thought that he would not be able to get around were lying to a grand jury, lying, you know, under oath, right? Um, Sending his lawyers to lie under oath, right? Like those, that's what I said, like the procedural crimes, it reminded me a lot of like what happened to Mike Flynn, right? Where potentially the entire investigation into him um, was a bunch of political BS and they think they were unlikely to prove the underlying crime. But then in the course of going after him, you know, he made false statements to the FBI and that's what they ultimately got him for, um, that's what I kind of expected with this indictment. Um, it also would have been much quicker uh, in terms of getting this to trial because those, one, they, they seem like a lot easier to prove. Um, but there's a lot in this indictment that's directly about the documents and that's going to take forever. Um, like wh- what comes in at trial, what doesn't, like it's just going to take a very long time to adjudicate all those questions. I don't see this happening before the election, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're just going to do it at the speed of light for this, but um, you know, the other, the other is a larger argument that you made about the standard. Like maybe we should indict all of our former presidents because they're all corrupt, right? Basically everyone's corrupt. And I think there's no, a the large part of the perjure clearly obstruct justice, <laughs> justice and clearly. No, but you, okay. But you, you acknowledge that, that Hillary is on the same level. You think maybe Joe Biden's one notch below, but there's still some pretty serious stuff he sure. could be indicted I mean, on, sure. like, right? Yeah, like maybe we just indict everybody. 
And and the reason no, I would say everybody. that's just, that's just that's just Hillary and that's just Hillary and Trump. And then with an investigation combined, it's not Obama. It's not George W. We could talk about George W. Bush with the crimes, but yeah, you know, that's not everybody. That's I like mean, two people. I am absolutely certain that you could find a reason to indict Obama if you're looking through like, I mean, I just I, I just think that that our political class is generally corrupt, and I don't I, I at least recently. I mean, maybe always, but at least recently. Um, I think it, and, and I think I there's think, still a set. Oh, yeah. Can I like so? Let me make the argument. So let's just let's pause it that there are at least some number of people at the head of government, or um, particularly people who are either president or running for president or vice president. You know, at that layer level, who are corrupt. Um, I still think this norm that we had for 250 years of not prosecuting um, either former presidents or candidates. Uh, for the major parties running, right? Um, I think we prosecuted Eugene Debs. So, but that that's okay. So candidates for the major parties who have a shot at winning the election, right? Um, we we haven't done that. And, and the reason is exactly because we don't want to set up this standard where, uh, you know, people have an incentive to cling to power illegitimately, right? If they lose an election, uh, it also means they're going to jail. They don't just stop being president, they are going straight to jail, right? Afterwards, it's very hard to get people out of power once that incentive is is established. And so therefore, to me, it's the lesser of two evils, essentially, to say, yeah, there's going to be a higher standard for than for Joe Schmo, who like took a document, um, you know, home to show to his buddies, uh, than for, for Trump or for Biden or for Hillary. Um, and that's unfair. And it's not the way we want to think about the law. Um, but I, I think you have to have something much more serious and much clearer to break that norm because th- there's a reason for the norm. And the reason is you provide the worst possible incentives for people to stick in power and never leave. And that's more important. That's more important than getting any of these people on their shady document stuff to my mind. It's you're right. You're, I mean, I agree. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's up to, it's up to, a, it's, a, it's still up to a point. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've already said that, yeah, there's the, the, you know, the problem of they can commit crimes. And I think what we had, I mean, I think was pretty, you know, pretty reasonable, which is like, there is a higher standard, but I, I think Trump just blew through it. That's, that's the thing. I think that Trump just blew through it. I mean, could you say like, if you know, he's running for president. So if he didn't run for president, if he just said, I don't want to be president for 2024, I, I endorse him DeSantis. Um, is, you know, is, are we going to say that, you know, that makes it more okay? I, I think you, I think you just, he, he made it impossible not to do it. I mean, I think he just, he really forced it on them once they started investigating for the documents. And look, they, they started out, just give us the documents, not national archives, national archives. Is, I mean, is that the deep state conspiracy? They're just the national archives. I mean, <laughs> you know the the list of sort of conspirators of this deep state has to keep growing. He could have ended this. I mean, this is what Chris Christie says. This is what a lot of people says said, and he just made it difficult. I mean, he really, really made it hard for them. The evidence was overwhelming, and I, like I don't know how you can look at it. like if Biden like was on tape like doing the you know all this stuff. Well, you know, there's a tape of somebody saying that that he did, and then like he didn't cooperate with like the subpoena, and we knew with certainty, and it's like his lawyers were testifying to that. Uh, effect like that would be different but like he just it's like it's like you're in a you're you're in a classroom like i don't know if you ever taught kids and like they push you they push you and like you just want to let it go you don't want to deal with it but then they push you so far like you have to just sort of like do something i think that that's what this case was i mean i think just trump's 
behavior just in the, in the context of the legal system which is so obnoxious that he didn't leave them much uh, he didn't leave them much choice i think this is the that this really gets down to the essential disagreement that we have so I, I i think it's exactly the wrong way to think it think about it that like these are conspirators right um it's not conspirators and actually sometimes i object to the way that trump talks about this for exactly that reason it's not like a cabal of secret people who are gathering to, to get Trump. It's that these, these bureaucracies are institutionally, they have policy positions. Most of those policy positions and beliefs of the overwhelming majority of people who work in these bureaucracies, the permanent class of people who are making day-to-day decisions about how the government is run. When everybody says who's, who's running the country because Joe Biden, you know, is asleep at 4 PM, right? Like, Who's running the country? Who is it really? Is it the palace intrigue? Is it one of his advisors? No, it's it's very clearly the bureaucracy. And there's this myth that this bureaucracy does not have a political position. And what's become very, very clear is the that entire bureaucracy decided simply the people must not be allowed to elect somebody like Donald Trump that, for example, has very different positions on foreign policy than we do, that has like certain crass elements of him. Like th- this guy is a, they've decided that this guy is a huge danger to the country. They decided that back in 2015, which is why they authorized all kinds of illegitimate, you know, spying on a presidential candidate, right? Um, on this, this obviously like wild and unreliable documentation, the Steele dossier. And that's why I brought it up, right? It's not a conspiracy. It's a bunch of people who have very, very similar beliefs who went to all of the same schools. And Donald Trump was outside of their Overton window. They decided quite honestly that he's Hitler and that therefore any means necessary to get him off the stage is necessary. Um, and, and it's exactly the wrong, um, to my mind, exactly the wrong, like sort of way to think about it is that the kids who are pushing the adults too far who really don't want to deal with this, right? Um, it's true that Donald Trump is, it, the part of the analogy that's true is that Donald Trump can't seem to help himself. That part is true. He has no self-discipline, no control over himself, no strategy. Like he, he should know this already about the fact that, that this entire sort of, um, administrative state has it out for him. They've tried to just, they tried to destroy his presidency for four years. Okay. He should know that. And therefore he should not act like Donald Trump, but that's, that's, you know, the sort of, catch 22 of Donald Trump, right? That some of the same qualities that make him successful also make him completely self-destructive. But it's not that the, the, the these folks are the adults in the room. The DOJ are not the adults in the room. They have a very strong political perspective. And just one piece of evidence um, to back that up is that in 2016, where there was this huge divide, like between Hillary, who's very much like who they wanted. It's why they didn't want to come after her, right? Um, I think uh, Comey mistakenly thought that he was getting this off the books for her because they were so certain that he that she was going to win, that they didn't want this investigation ongoing while she was president. Um, some of the interviews that she had with FBI folks, like it's very clear they don't want to piss her off because they think she's the next president. Right. Um, she was very clearly their their gal. And and the numbers back this up out of donations from federal um federal employees. It's 95 to five in 2016, right? 95% of the, the political donations from federal employees went to Hillary. And it, I think it was 99% in the state department. Okay. Like there is a, there's a perspective. These people are political actors, but they're protected unfairly from the buffeting winds of politics by this imaginary idea 
that the civil service and, and the administrative state is, quote unquote, apolitical. And this, to my mind, this is a crisis of exactly of, of this fourth branch of government that that now is more powerful Certainly than Congress, because they, they can't find, I don't know how much, how much to swear on this podcast, but they can't find their asses with both hands. They haven't been able to actually properly legislate or even pass a real budget in years, right? That's totally like in decline as a branch. And now we have a problem where the executive branch is not controlled by the president in any meaningful sense. And therefore, there's basically no one to oversee these people. They're used to being in power. They're used to making the decisions. And when somebody came in, rightly or wrongly, on any given issue that was totally outside of their overturn window of what they thought that that is, is the right thing to do, they interpreted it as a like a threat that needed to be taken out by any means necessary. So I, I just I, the whole background of this, I think I fundamentally disagree when you laugh about, uh, you know, some of these archivists or whatever you know, being, they're not part of a conspiracy, but they are part of a blob where everybody holds the same opinions. And that opinion is Donald Trump is so dangerous that anything must be done to take him out. So, but I mean, but like you're conflating a lot of things. So the Russiagate investigation, and then you get to, and then you jump to the National Archives, just asking for documents. Is that like part of their psycho psychology that anything, you know, that they must do anything to take him out? I think there could be a lot of things going on here. I think you're right that I think the Russiagate investigation started because they didn't like his views on foreign policy. I think that's, I think that's correct. And there was a lot of shady things there. I also think there are reasons that like law enforcement might not like Donald Trump, um, that are legitimate. Like law enforcement tends not, not like, not to like people who break a lot of laws, for example. And it's possible that Trump is more prone to breaking the law and violating norms than other politicians are. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it too. And there might be bad, they might be bad will, um, based on that. And which wouldn't necessarily mean, you know, bad will towards all Republicans or all conservatives. Uh, I think, you know, there's this great article, uh, by Iglesias called, you know, the orange man is bad. And I just, I love this. I love this quote. Uh, so I'm going to, I don't do this much, but I'm going to read this. And he says about Trump, his con is not that he's convinced conservatives that he's honest. It's that he's convinced conservatives that his lying and shamelessness is a superpower that he deploys on behalf of their issues and causes. And that is true that he's, he has at times deployed dishonesty and shamelessness to advance conservative causes. But much more frequently, he deploys dishonesty and shamelessness to advance himself, often at the expense of conservative causes. And I think that, like, I think this really gets at something. I think Trump has done a great job of, like, making conservatives think they're coming after you. Like, the FBI just hates you. Like, everyone is just coming after you, and they hate me because I am your representative. And a lot of it is just – it's just him. It's just literally him. You can have someone with the exact same political positions if he's the kind of guy who do, who – cooperates with law enforcement and doesn't take documents home like and is so desperate to like show off his uh you know uh to you know to Kim Jong-un doesn't like chant lock him like look okay like the fact that you know they chant lock him up at rallies um or lock her up like whenever Trump like mentions someone they don't like like this is like a sort of a like bad like norm breaking thing and I could see how like this could cause bad will so I think there are like a lot of legitimate reasons to think Trump is uniquely bad and there will be a reaction to that Yes, and maybe they will sometimes be unfair to Trump, but this is not, you know, there's a part of this that is not conservatism or this is not right wing. It's just literally this man. And he benefits when like conservatives adopt the cause, you know, his cause as their own because they're not the same cause. So I, I agree with what you read. Was that from Inglesias? 
right? Mm-hmm. About that sometimes this, this, the Trump's lodestar is really himself. Um, you know, maybe he is the sort of narcissistic avatar that, that boomer America deserves, even though he's a little older than the boomer generation, even. Um, I, I very much dislike this about Trump. I've always disliked it about Trump. Um, and I think he showed that in spades after the election of 2020. Uh, just to give one potential example, um, right, Andrew Jackson, there's been a couple allegations of, of essentially stealing elections in American history. Um, Andrew Jackson, in, in his initial election, I can never remember if it's 24 or 28, but anyway, um, in, in his initial election, he thinks the election is stolen. He has pretty good reason to think that because there's there's uh, some wheeling and dealing. This is where the, the House still, like, votes and um, Anyways, I'm not going to go into all that. But anyway, he has a pretty good reason for thinking so. And what he does is, is basically say, well, I'll be back in four years, even stronger. I'm holding, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to come for the corrupt sort of Washington wheelers and dealers. And he comes back in four years and he wins. It's the same thing that Nixon did, right? There's some evidence, historical evidence that Joe Kennedy stole the election on, on behalf for, for, for his son, right? Um, by stuffing ballot boxes and all the rest. Uh, it, but, but these were adults. Um, and Nixon says, no, it's bad for the country. I'm just going to come back and run again. Right. Like I, I, I'm going to accept this even though I don't believe. So this is even if you do it, like we assume that Trump is sincere in his saying that he thinks he won the election. Right. And, and you see that, that really negative impulse in Trump come out after the election where he doesn't care about anything other than whoever has personally screwed him. Right. So that I, that I agree but I, on, on the flip side, right, the FBI is coming for you through Trump, okay? The FBI is also issuing memos about parents who are concerned about what their children are learning in school as domestic terrorists, to treat them as potential domestic terrorists, right? And that even before the Trump era, you go back to my favorite scandal to keep repeating because there's this idiotic meme that there were no scandals under the Obama administration, where you have the IRS targeting their political opponents, not, you know, people like Trump, but ordinary people who are organizing in little Tea Party, you know, groups across America, where the FBI, um, you know, is coming after parents now and the, the, you know, IRS, which in many cases is scarier to the average American, right, <laughs> comes comes after like individual Tea Party groups and like some little old lady who was the chair and, and nothing happens to Lois Lerner over this, right? She sits in front of Congress. She basically says nothing. And then she rides off into the sunset. Um, so I, I think both things can be true. Trump is a petulant sort of narcissist who, who sees everything through the lens of, you know, who's insulted to him on TV last. Um, and it's also true that, that we have this malignant sort of permanent state uh, that is bringing us into a constitutional crisis repeatedly now because they can't accept that just the people just like this idiot, Donald Trump, and they want him to be president for four or eight years. And they can't accept this. They just can't accept it. They're going to bring down much more important norms to make sure that this doesn't happen. And by the way, you said about, you know, oh, yeah, you can see why they don't like Trump because he's going around rallies, uh, you know, back in 2016 saying lock her up, right? They actually are trying to lock him up. So who's who's showing more? Literally, they have less self-restraint and concern about the norms of the republic than Donald Trump because he decided, after all of that, not to lock her up. He made some statement about how it would be bad for the country. So even even this narcissist understood that, and they don't. The supposedly adults in the room don't understand that. Okay. So, Inez, I think you were – you – okay. 
I think what you, you were so, I think you're reaching when you're trying to say they're, they're coming for you. First of all, you, you said the FBI, you have to find, okay. So like you said, you have to find something where the FBI is not, is going after Republicans or conservatives who are not Trump. And you say they, you know, they wrote a letter, uh, di- uh, saying parents are domestic terrorists. That was, first of all, that was the, that was the DOJ. I mean, it was just a letter. It wasn't a single prosecution. DOJ, I'm sure, produces thousands and thousands of documents. It's not good. It's not good that they did that, but there's no, but nobody been investigated as far as I know. Nobody's been locked up. You just, we, you know, the Republicans in Congress, uh, seized one letter and it's, it's bad. It's Biden's DOJ. Okay. Um, but like, where's the evidence that the FBI, the FBI, which had a director Comey, uh, uh, who was appointed by Bush and then the next, uh, director was appointed by Trump himself. Um, where's the evidence that the FBI, like we could say the IRS that, you know, that we jump, we jump to the lowest learner, right? The, the, the Tea Party era uh, scandal. Um, where's the, where's the evidence that the FBI has it out for conservatives? Not, not Trump, but conservatives You're, in general. You are, you are too smart to make this argument that because they're appointed by Republicans. That, well, okay. that well, they're I, not part of because this, this, yeah. is, this is this is um this is something that maybe is is just you know part of being in dc or whatever but you do very quickly learn the enormous power of bureaucracy um and that the, the people that are sort of uh have the right resume in that system they they may be appointed by republicans or democrats they may vote republican or democrat but they have a, a very particular institutional view and that's exactly what i'm talking about that this institutional power is out of control um in a way that doesn't just affect trump although maybe he thumbs his nose at it in a stupid way um but but that that's not about trump right and and by the way i do think i mean on one hand i think it's um it's not a really legit argument to launch against the santa supporters right um but but people say oh but like you know Basically, they're going to come after DeSantis in the same way, right? Anyone who does anything serious about the institutional power of the left, they're going to come after in the same way. I actually think that's true. In other words, okay. I think it'd be harder to do with somebody like DeSantis because he's more careful, which I think is a positive for DeSantis. Um, but I, I think they are looking for a way to do any any Republican who's not in that sort of bipartisan lane. I think what's happened largely is this entire blob in Washington, D.C. has decided that the policy norms of more or less the last 30 years, right? So post-Reagan, from George H.W. Bush through 2016, they've decided that that the bipartisan norms, and I'm not going to say they're crazy left-wing. They're not crazy left-wing. They're exactly in that very narrow spectrum from, you know, sort of conservative left to, you know, liberal Republican, right? Um They've decided that the boundaries of discourse need to be that, and anything outside of that is a threat to liberal democracy. Okay, they've confused their own policy ossification of the last 30 years with some kind of like existential threat. And in the course of doing so, they are doing things that are actually bringing us into a constitutional crisis. We will be in a constitutional crisis if Donald Trump wins from jail. We will be in a constitutional crisis if he pardons himself after this, this indictment and then launches an indictment of president, ex-president Biden. Okay. We will be in a constitutional crisis that will be by then far beyond what either Trump or Biden or anyone else can control in the same way that eliminating the 60 vote threshold for, you know, for judicial nominations was inevitably going to like end up with both sides using it. Right. It's just, it's, this is the ironclad rule of politics. And I, I just, look, I agree that Trump is, 
not, uh, you know, I, I didn't like him in 2015. I didn't like him in 2016. I thought his presidency was better than I could have had the right to expect, given my assessment of who he was in terms of a conservative. He delivered more things that I would like than I expected him to. But I'm certainly no like I voted for him in 2020. Um, and I, I will vote for him again if he becomes the Republican nominee in 2024. I prefer he's not because I just don't see in him the sort of strategic what's what's necessary to actually fight this kind of institutional power in a serious way that's not just kicking. I see Donald Trump is basically kicking the hornet's nest and then like leaving us all to deal with the bees, you know. Um, but I, that being said, like, I, I, I think the greater danger here by far and that the only people breaking really serious norms um, is this this blob and not even, quote unquote, Democrats or Joe Biden. It's it's this Washington blob, a lot of which have their positions basically for life. They're permanent. You are. Yeah. So, I mean, so I, let me, I mean, go because I think that you're, you're just grouping sort of everything. And I think there's a spectrum here. And I'm glad you said that you think if DeSantis uh, came to power and actually uh, affected change, um, they would prosecute him in the same way because I, I don't believe, I don't believe that. So that's a, that's like a disagreement that maybe one day will be, uh, you know, adjudicated by reality. One day we'll have a president other than the Trump. I, you know, I don't think like, I don't see them like, yeah, I, I don't believe that. I think this is more about you know, like, this is a fundamental disagreement. I think this is less about ideology and I will make one exception for foreign policy. I think in foreign policy, there is a sort of deep state bipartisan consensus about what we should do. But, but in the, in the world of sort of like, I don't know, civil rights law or taxation. Like, I don't think the set just comes to power and does right wing things on those things. The, um, you know, the, the, the bureaucracy just, just tries to get up uh, for something. You know, it's not like, it's not like the EEOC is like, you know, because, you know, the, the bureaucracy is different. It's different people, right? Like there, there's some far left wingers and there's more moderate, I think, reasonable people, um, in law enforcement. Um, but let me go, I mean, let me could be, but so like, I, so I sort of resist this, uh, tendency to just say it's all, the blob, because Trump makes specific allegations about the FBI. Now let's we can stick to the FBI because you know there's not until Trump came along, and and you know maybe they are prejudiced against Trump, but there was never you know there was never sort of and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm forgetting something um, idea that they were um, you know particularly geared towards you know uh, um, derailing Republican efforts or conservatives like that that wasn't something people thought in 2015. Maybe they thought the IRS was bunch of liberals they just want to collect everyone's taxes okay that sort of makes makes more sense um but what about the theory that just the fbi is maybe anti-trump and maybe not anti-conservative and maybe not anti-republican to any great extent unless they're anti-interventionists so i think it's pretty clear they are by the way that they treated these allegations i think that they've jettisoned their their professional code in favor of this because they just can't stand donald trump like I, do I think they would behave this way with Bush? No, which is why I used the DeSantis example. I actually think they, they probably got along relatively well with Bush. What, are the, what, what, are, what do you think they like? What do you think they like about Bush that they wouldn't like about DeSantis? What's the what's the difference between those two? I, I think essentially it's whether it breaks this consensus of like, let's say 1998, what both parties might basically be able to agree on. Um. So they're willing to tolerate a little few moves right on certain things or a few moves left on certain things, certain policies. By the way, I think you'll find, if we do discover this, I think you'll find the exact opposite on the issue that you care about in terms of the, the Civil Rights Act. I think you would have mass bureaucratic revolt over that. Um, 
So, for example, I, I, it, 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 it took, I don't think in the FBI. I don't think in the FBI, though. But yeah, go ahead. It it, it took uh, it took three years. Um, one of the things that I sort of had a, a small hand in as an outside person. I never worked uh, for the Department of Education for good reason. Um, but just just to reassert the federal court upheld definition of due process and harassment. Okay. Uh, so just to reaffirm what federal courts and the Supreme Court have defined as the constitutional necessities under which a bunch of young men are able to bring, have been, have been winning cases against universities, um, for denying them their constitutionally protected rights, due process, and, and, and engaging in an unconstitutionally broad, uh, definition of harassment that sweeps in protected speech. Okay. Just to promulgate regulations that do that the bare minimum and all power to them, which I will always like praise um, this particular, there's other aspects of, of DeVos's tenure at the department of ed that I totally disagree with, but I think that they did a really good job actually promulgating these regulations under the APA. Like they did the whole folder roll. They went through the whole procedure to get this on the books. You know how long it took them? I think almost three years. Why? It's not because they, it's no. difficult. It's not because it's so difficult to do it. It's because literally every step of the way, they're fighting their own people. This is the, this yeah, is the reality of, of, of being, quote unquote, an actual conservative in the federal but, bureaucracy. But, is, but is that, like, you're conf- and you think I the FBI is fundamentally the, different than that? I think the, uh, the FBI is different than the Office of Civil Rights in the department of uh department of education yes i, I mean i do uh the um, i think that, i think that there's a sort of a spectrum and you know because i was talking about does the fbi prosecute conservatives right and you went to um the office of uh, civil rights department of education slow walks civil rights uh, well that was in know, response to what you said about civil rights like yeah, yeah. But, it was, but we were, we were talking about but we, yeah, well i well but i was talking about it in the context of the FBI and why they hate DeSantis, right? They would hate, in your mind, DeSantis uh, more than Bush, right? So they would. The, so the, uh, what I'm trying to get at is like they would, they would try to charge DeSantis with a de- declassified document, you know, classified documents kind of thing because they got mad that he um, got rid of Title IX rape tribunals. It's like, is that how the FBI? Works? Because like, there's this thing called the Blob. But there's like the federal judiciary and there's the FBI and there's the civil rights uh, people and there's the DOJ and there's the political appointees and there's the non-political appointees. I think there's like a lot of different things here. And just to say they're all the blob and they're all against us and they're all against conservatives. I, you know, I, I think that's that's painting with too broad of a brush. I mean, so to some extent, that's obviously true. Right. So there are different hiring ro- rules for like federal prosecutors, for example, uh, than there are for like typical civil servant bureaucrats. Um, but I think that their their overall uh, behavior under the Trump administration exactly proves um, how much those professional codes have degenerated over time. And we can have a conversation about wokeness, for example, um, and 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 how each new rank of and what's happening in the law schools, right? And how each new rank of people hired in the DOJ and the FBI um, are coming out of places like Stanford Law that now can't listen to, you know, federal judge Duncan give a completely like bland legal talk. Right. I think that the entrance of that kind of activism, and you might say this is again, like some side point, I don't think it is right. 
the entrance of that kind of activism is already more than like, let's say a decade old and it's transforming these institutions. So I don't, I, maybe 30 years ago, there was a code in the FBI that was fundamentally apolitical. And if you listen to, for example, somebody like Andy McCarthy, who I had on my, my podcast and specifically asked him about this, um, you know, somebody like Andy McCarthy, he goes back when he was working in the 90s as a prosecutor for some very important cases, including the Blind Shake case, right? Um, and he actually gave me an example of, of uh, working on Whitewater, right? Um, most people don't remember this scandal, but like this was a, a Clinton scandal about potentially like, um, I, I don't even remember, but it was about like, uh, basically she had invested in certain uh, stocks that did like really, really well after the fact. And there was some question as to whether this was basically corruption. And I can't remember the details of it. Uh, but, but the FBI was investigating it. And he said he was working with a Democratic prosecutor and he was the Republican. And actually at the end of the case, right, he thought there was not enough evidence to charge the case of the Democrat, right? The Democratic scandal. And the Democrat prosecutor thought there was enough evidence to charge the case, right? And he gave me this example is there used to be this professional code, right? We have our our political views. Now, I, I, I think there's probably a certain inevitability to that kind of code breaking down anyway, but let's leave that aside, right? That is no longer true. It's no longer true in the FBI. Andy McCarthy uh, admits that it's no longer true in the DOJ or the FBI. Um and and he's shocked by their behavior in the last four years for that reason. It's the kind of behavior that would be absolutely unacceptable as a matter of professionalism when he was working there. And that's part of the reason um, he, I was asking him about this, because I think it's really interesting and goes to the point, right? He was shocked by what happened under Trump. And a lot of the reason that he was reluctant to get out ahead of what was happening, and he was kind of always saying, well, you know, we got to take this seriously or this drip or that drip about um, you know, the Mueller investigation and all that stuff. Part of the reason that he would take it seriously each time is like he can't believe that the FBI would behave or the DOJ, I'm confusing them now, but um, would would behave um, in in this way uh, as a former prosecutor saying, like, we used to have professional standards. I can't believe that this is so rampant in the FBI. Like, yeah, you might have one bad boss or one bad like agent, but to have, you know, this kind of rampant politicization um, is is unbelievable. But now he has to look back and say all oh, that happened. And I think it's, it is because the same thing that happened to the New York Times, right? Um, between, you know, 1990 and two years ago, the same thing has happened to a lot of these law enforcement, you know, a lot of these law enforcement uh, apparatus. And of course, it's much more dangerous when it happens in the DOJ than when it happens in the New York Times, as dangerous as that is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, yeah, a lot we can get about society and about the uh, sort of different parts of government. And we only have, we only have a few minutes, a few minutes left though. Um, and we wanted to get a bunch of different topics, but I, I think just like, a, we'll just spend a few minutes on, uh, there's this Josh Barrow piece that I'll link to. It goes, it's time for GOP candidates to pile on Trump. And this is about Chris Christie. Chris Christie recently had a CNN town hall, got pretty good reviews from what I saw on Twitter. I've, I've uh, uh, tweeted some videos out and, um, and I actually saw a poll that in New Hampshire, well, where Trump was like, you know, some ridiculously high number, 50% or 40% or something. DeSantis was 12. Christie was seven. This is, this is one poll, but I mean, Christie being within five points of DeSantis. And I think Tim Scott might have been like at seven, two, um, in any state, I think is, you know, quite remarkable. Um, and. I think this sort of validates sort of what I've been saying. And Josh Barrow makes this argument too, um, that they're going to have to, 
um, they're going to have to go at Trump. There's no, you know, there's no, you know, there is no just like hoping he implodes. I mean, when you say, you know, the liberals are hoping he just sort of goes away or his voters disappear. I think that's what Republicans um, think is going to happen. And it hasn't happened since 2015. It doesn't, it certainly doesn't look like it's starting to happen now. Um, so is this just like, you know, is there just a realization, you know, coming to maybe all the other campaigns and all the pundits that, yeah, you're going to actually have to fight Trump to win this nomination. Yeah, you would think at some point that if you're running against a guy, you're going to have to actually say that he did a bad job on some particular thing. Now, that does that mean he did a bad job on everything? Obviously, you're you're running against the incumbent president, even though with a four-year gap in between, which hasn't happened since Cleveland. Um, but if, if he were to win, I mean. But but um, no, I mean, I think at some point on about this, I think Christie is right. Like. At some point, you're going to have to actually directly attack the guy. And there was some quote in there where he was he was basically during this town hall. Um, Christie was saying, you know, you can't just say it's time for younger leadership. It's time for a new direction, like all these sort of corporate bland phrases like you're running against the guy. Give us the case why, you know, you're a better pick than he is. Right? You actually have to make that case. You can't just pretend uh, that you don't have you're not running against this this person that you're you're in the race allegedly against um now that's complicated by the fact that a lot of people are clearly running for the vp slot um which is just in my view is is kind of pathetic um just don't run for president i mean i know there's all those incentives there's like all you need is one billionaire and an ego but it's it's just it's just it's just very cringy to me to see somebody on the stage and then just so obsequious to your primary opponent you know, like it just begs the question: Why are you in the who, race? Who, who, are you talk, who are you talking about, Anessa? Is there somebody you think you you expect to be particularly obsequious to to Trump I, in the I debate? Think, I think I think Haley Scott and to some extent Vivek Ramaswamy, who I like better than either of those two, have come out as sort of so obsequious to Trump, and that that it's it begs the question: Why they're running against them and why they think they're better? And that and mostly what you get from them are answers like, "Well, I'm I'm younger than Trump." Well, that might work with Biden because he seems like he's ready for for the pudding line. But Trump is pretty vigorous for his age. He doesn't seem to have like, you know, lost his his mental faculties. He's sort of physically robust. Like, um, I don't think those arguments land the same way as they do with Biden, where everyone is pretty sure that, you know, he's not actually, as we talked about earlier, running the presidency, that he's not capable of it. Um, even his own voters, even Democratic voters, you know, in polls say that they're worried about his age. Trump doesn't have that. Um, and I just don't think it's a strong enough argument as to why you're in the race against an incumbent president of your own party. Uh, and so there's a cringe factor involved in that. Look, DeSantis has sort of, until like a couple weeks ago, kind of fell in that category too, where he, he was like avoiding actually attacking Trump. Either get in or get out. You know, tell me why you're better. Tell me why you're better than the current front runner. And if you can't do that, there's a certain like, so in that case, I agree with Christy. Um, the reason no one is doing it, though, is that the lane to actually be anti-Trump in the Republican Party is is about this wide. Um, you know, there might be people who are open to somebody like DeSantis, but they're not open because they dislike Trump. So it's just kind of a catch-22 for anybody running against Trump in the Republican yeah. primary. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just say, I mean, I think there's a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, this kind of thing. Yeah, the, it's very narrow. Like, it seems like everyone likes Trump, but I mean, it's sort of in part because um, 
no one's arguing against Trump. So in that case, like, of course, like, it's not going to be, you know, there's not going to be an audience for anti-Trump arguments. So you have to make the arguments and you have to sort of change reality. When Trump came on the scene, he had, you know, I think he actually had negatives, uh, pretty high negatives with Republican voters, but, you know, he won them over. So, I mean, this is sort of what you have to do uh, in politics. Um, well, this is fun, Vinaz. I think we got on some uh, real disagreements and uh, yeah, we'll, I'll see you again next week.